0: welcome to conversations with heavy cardboard today should be a really good time i'm joined by a gentleman who has designed and published via his own and his wife's publishing house bezier games some of the toughest and best age of Steam maps in existence such as the bay area soul train northern california He also has designed and published some wildly popular games, such as Suburbia, Castles of Mad King Ludwig, and the One Night Ultimate Werewolf series, not to mention, published one of the games that we're going to be live streaming later this week that had a ton of buzz around it at Gen Con 50, which is Whistle Stop. And just because, you know, that's not enough, he's written over 30 books, many to help folks with various computer programs, such as Adobe Illustrator, Photoshop. PageMaker, and of course, Microsoft Bob. I am, of course, speaking about Ted Allspot, board game designer, publisher, author. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, Ted.
1: Hey, it's great to be here. I
0: hey, appreciate you uh, joining me uh, this early. Well, I guess it's early for me, right? Not so much on your end you're east nah, coast right
1: 10 in the morning here so all right not, not early at all <laughs>
0: all right so a quick note before we get started if anybody has any questions for ted go ahead and ask them in the chat and the production crew i.e amanda over in the office will message them to me and we'll get to them at the end of the conversation uh so let's get started as we do with every one of these what got you started in board games ted
1: Hey, I have loved and played board games ever since I was uh, super, super young. It's one of those that I can't even remember the first time I played games. I have lots of fond memories of playing with both my father and my grandfather. Uh, Lots of one-on-one games. I know my grandfather was a huge fan of the game, the board game Masterpiece, if you remember that oh of yeah. game. Uh, and so that was, I, I don't remember, I have not played it in you know, 30, 40 years probably, but <laughs> uh, we played it two player and we played it a lot. And it's that's one of my fondest memories is the basement of my grandparents' house and sitting across the table playing Masterpiece with my grandfather. And as well as a lot of other games, Crazy Eights, and just all sorts of things that we would play. But uh, those are those are really fond memories. And you know, just always a gamer you know, as a kid. You don't think of yourself as a gamer. You just think of yourself that you like playing games, and right. that's just one of the things you do, right? And uh, yeah, so as you know, all all kids everywhere that play games. That was me. You know, playing all sorts of the, the games that were out there, and played D and D in high school and in college, and of course video games uh, at the same time. And, uh, yeah, that never, never lost the passion for that and always, always enjoyed playing games.
0: So what made the transition then from, you know, like you said, uh, 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 Mastermind and all of those to what we consider designer or hobby games?
1: Um, So I think for me, it was, uh, you know, I started uh, doing some design work uh, for games I really wasn't thinking about a, being a game designer. It was more of gee, I really wish there was a game that did this or did that or something. And that was before I really started playing any Euro games or any kind of more modern type games. Um, you know, it was mostly at, at that point um, all the classics as well as party games, and occasionally I'd end up playing some things that uh, some Steve Jackson games or some uh, um, some of the uh, the games from James Ernest uh, that he put out. Um, you know, those sorts of games and. Very slowly, um, I found my way into into the hobby, and the, the thing that did it for me actually is I wanted a copy of Illuminati, um, and I could not find a copy of Illuminati anywhere. Um, and uh, I went to a you know the mall had a game store of course, and I asked a guy, I'm like you know you don't have why don't you have one on your shelf? Uh, we have all these other weird games I've never heard of. Why don't you have this? And then he's like, I can order it for you, which was cool because at the time the internet was sketchy. Sketchier, I guess, than it is, Sure. No, still sketchy, <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, "That's cool." And then he said, "You know, while you're waiting for that, you might want to try some of these." And so, ever the he, salesman, he, yeah. And it was, it was. I mean, it was awesome because it was there was Catan, there was just a bunch of other games that I hadn't heard of, and of course, Catan. When you walk past it in the store, I mean, even now, I'm just surprised that 20 years. Or so after I, I saw it for the first time, it's still a really unpleasant looking box overall. It doesn't have a lot of shelf appeal. It, it doesn't um, pop
0: off the shelf, does it?
1: No, not at all. And, uh, you know, I was, I had not heard of Settlers before this guy told me about it. And I was like, I don't know. And he goes, This is the one. You'll play this a couple times and then you'll be, you, you know, you won't want to stop. And I'm like, ah, That seems weird. But <laughs> he, he seemed like, other than that, he seemed like a reasonable person. So uh, I, I grabbed a copy. I learned it from the rules, which is, pretty much a terrible thing to do because it's a bizarre rule book. It's like in two pieces and stuff. I don't know how many people actually do that. <laughs> but yeah, we he was right and we played the crap out of it. And then, of course, I went back and like, well, what else is like this? And then, uh, you know, not long thereafter, we found all the other places on the Internet that have games and um, got into BGG and all sorts of things. And uh, then I was, you know, my eyes were just like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. And like anyone else new to the hobby that's so excited about it, you buy as much as you can, as fast as you can. Um, you know, and you're kind of learning what you like and what you don't like at that point, too. So, uh, yeah, I was uh, certainly at that point, I was definitely skewer, skewed towards the heavier stuff. Uh, you know, the roads and boats types of stuff, uh, Tiger's New Fridays, those sorts of games were the things that really appealed to me uh, back, back in the day.
0: And then from there, obviously, you found Age of Steam.
1: Yes, yes, I did. Uh, went to a, I was going to this Monday night game group at, that was being hosted at the Yahoo campus. I lived in the Bay Area. And at Yahoo they're they uh, they still do this as far as I know uh, every Monday night uh, in the cafeteria they host a game night there and uh, you know it was maybe 10 15 people That's and cool. I went there and yeah it was, it was great because I got to play games with a bunch of people and um, you know it was that they're all gamers and they had other stuff I didn't heard of and you know it was a really good way to see a lot of, uh, of actual German games from Germany that you know you don't really have access to otherwise. And uh, one of the games, you know, right when Age of Steam came out, someone brought it, and uh, we started playing that. And you know, just with that first base map, we were hooked. We we're like, okay, this is cool. And uh, you know, there's something about something about Age of Steam about the the way that, you know, it punishes you and punishes you and punishes you. And there's a, a gleam of hope somewhere at the end that you're just trying just like please let me break even, please let me break even. When you do, that is one of the most exciting things in gaming when you are, when you do not owe money on a turn. Yes. And, I, uh, I, I'm
0: finally in the black uh, or at least yes. not in the red. Yes.
1: Right. Right. And uh, if you've done that without taking all of your shares and if you, you know, that's, it's, it's such a great feeling. And, uh, you know, especially when you're not paying money, and then someone else is going, I owe four bucks, you know, or whatever it is. And that's, that, that was pretty exciting. So, I mean, I absolutely loved Age Steam. I, you know, started purchasing all the uh, Warfrog maps that, that Martin had done, all the other ones that he had done. And then uh, and of course, at that point, that was it. I mean, there was a couple that he had put out at that point and uh, nothing else. And so, uh, right away, I was like, you know, I know how to use Adobe Illustrator, but, you know. Was in actually worked at Adobe at the time. Right. Was uh, I was the group product manager for Illustrator. So not only did I know how to use it, I had access to it and the latest versions of it. So (laughs) that was cool. Nice. Um, And I had access to big printers uh, at Adobe. They had big printers for testing, like big plot printers for testing. Um, I didn't really ever mention that to them, but I don't think they care now. (laughs) Uh, It's a lot later. Um, So I could actually print things that were like in one piece, which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, So yeah. So So that so uh, so so that's how
0: you and, and. I'm surprised, but maybe I shouldn't be. But how many designers out there got their feet wet designing by designing Aegis theme maps?
1: Um, there's probably, I, you know, even if they haven't done it commercially, it's a great way to start because it's, it's got this, it's, it's a really nice environment. You know, it's, it's got a, a great world to start with. And there's all sorts of rules that you can tweak and break and still make the game work. And it's kind of a, I, as far as I'm concerned, it was a great training ground for me to understand, you know, what these changes do, like every little change, how it implicated, uh, you know, how it just totally changed the the way people would play or, um, you know, the different actions and what their values were, and uh, that was that was great. Uh, you know, the dozens of, of team maps that I designed and a lot of them ended up getting printed. Um, that was, I think, those are the great training ground for understanding game design and and just you know in a kind of a very small piecemeal focused way.
0: To where you're only focused on this one little thing and then kind of a butterfly effect, oh, this little change, how it kind of ripples out across the entire game.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, everything everything from just changing the cost of an action or changing the the way bidding was structured or how much tiles cost, all those things – you know, and you know, give great credit to both uh, John Bohr and Martin Wallace because what they did with Age of Steam is they balanced it just so, so well. So it just, I mean, it really is, it's you know, it's older now, but it really is, it is a pristinely balanced game. And a lot of people would disagree because they're like, oh, that's not fair, it's too punishing. It's it's on purpose that it's punishing because of, you know, what we were talking about earlier, it just makes you feel so good to get to that point and it's a sign that you can get there for the most part. Some of the maps, not so much. but. Most of those maps, you will be able to, um, you know, get income towards the end. And that's just very satisfying when it happens. And, uh, you know, just cresting that little hill is awesome.
0: Which is funny coming from you, seeing as you have designed what is arguably thought of as the toughest, most brutal Aegis theme map in existence, which is the Bay Area.
1: <laughs> that was actually the first one that I did, too. Yeah. Go as hard um, as
0: you can. So, So yeah. what made you, what possessed you to, you know what? The game's not punishing enough let me really hate on everybody
1: yeah i think it was uh you know we played i think it was uh the england and ireland map um which is a great three-player map um that uh, martin had done at one point point. and uh you know that's one of those that if you make a mistake early on you can be in a lot of trouble And there's a few others that were like that and uh you know i, I love that challenge both as a game designer as a player of, you know, the most difficult thing possible. But yes, there's a way around it. It's not impossible, but it's so close. You know, it's if you make, if you screw up, if you make the wrong, wrong decision early on, you're totally hosed. And uh, in general, in game design, that's probably a bad idea. You don't want to punish people for making mistakes early in the game. But for something, you're going to play again and again and again, you know, like I was doing that. So, um, you know, for me, I actually thought that that was kind of cool because that had a lot of replay value uh, with it.
0: Alright, so how... Okay, sticking with the ages theme maps, because as you said, you've designed dozens of them. How did you... For those that are geographically relevant, not the beer and pretzels or so on and so forth, the ones that are actually based on a real-world location, how did you go about balancing between the geography uh, or geographic accuracy and gameplay balance? How did you make those trade-offs?
1: Yeah, I think for me, it was always... Gameplays first, um, and you know people are upset that one city is too close to something else, or this is you know, the wrong shape of something. Okay, that's that's just how it is, um, because really it's it's not worth it to mimic geography exactly if the game is not going to be good in the end. You know, if there's a problem with it, or something's too easy, or it's broken, or or whatever. You know, it's it's why the particular cities on the Rust Belt map for Age Team Steam um, have those those cities in place and not other ones. It's because they're they're balanced and They're the right distance apart. Um, And, uh, you know, that's one of those things that you learn. And, you know, certainly um, there were a bunch of maps that were done on different things. I think I had at one point a war, you know, railways of the world and it was a world map and it just didn't work. And there's no way to make it work without really skewing the way the earth looked. Um, You know, there's, there's a bunch of examples like that where, you know, and that's, I think ended up, some of them ended up being kind of the, what you're saying kind of with more abstract non geographical maps because they started as something, um, Portugal or something, and they're like, well, nah, this is not going to work. Well, Portugal has like one train or something too, that, that didn't help in like only a couple cities. But, but, uh, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the maps, um, ended up, uh, slowly transforming from that geographic location to something else. Uh, certainly the, you know, one of my favorites, um, is, uh, the, the disco inferno one, which is kind of a weird theme, but, uh, originally my all-time
0: favorite maps by the way
1: yes oh that's nice uh i don't remember what the geographical location was originally but uh it was pretty soon that when as as we're working as i was working on that that i realized this is just not going to work and when for whatever reason i have no idea what type of state of mind i was in to have that particular theme come up um when that hit and i was like oh my gosh now we can do this and then, if we take that disco inferno song and take a couple of those really cool lyrics from it, we can actually make those into actions and have certain things happen. I mean, the whole thing about you know, burn, burn it down to the ground when your cities burn after the all the the cubes are out, and just fun stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, with playtesting, uh, one of my favorite rules in there, which I know a lot of people don't like, but which I is super it. fun. I love it. This is fantastic. The one that, the one that there's the one that you you cannot you're not allowed to hum or sing any songs during the thing, or you lose a point. You know, you basically lose one right then. You're like, and people are like, that's not fair. And I'm like, no, it's actually really good because it, it kind of has this, this weird focus because you're constantly seeing all these, these names of these songs and it, most people know and they're like, oh yeah. And they'll like, do learn from it. And like, nope, remember what we said, that's a point. It's so, like, no. And I'm like, that's the rules. That's, no, that's that, we, uh,
0: we, we, have, yeah. we have had many a uh, good laugh over that map as well as on the other side, the uh, Soul Train. Uh, yeah. Just the fact that you cannot hum and what we'll do to make it worse, whenever we play so, uh, Disco Inferno, is we'll throw on Spotify or something and put on a disco soundtrack <laughs> just to make it impossible to not uh, or, so- or or sing along uh, uh, while brutal. playing that. So yeah, thank you for that. That uh, yeah, Soul, Soul Train is arguably that and the and album VR's Moon are my personal yeah. two favorite age of steam maps out of everything that i played so that's
1: good i think it's awesome both the
0: theme of soul train and the way that the map switches from down from hell to uh earth or purgatory up to heaven i think that was uh that was really really clever really well done so thank you for that
1: oh good I'm, i'm glad you enjoyed it
0: uh so before we move on from age of steam um I know your current thoughts on the game, which you can expound on uh, for everybody, but what do you think about the sheer quantity of maps out there? Do you feel like it's just about right? Do you think it's too many or do you think there's still more that can be explored, albeit possibly from somebody else?
1: I think there's a lot of space still to explore in that in that area. Um, I don't I don't think that it has been uh, overdone. I know people would say there are dozens of commercial maps, as well as probably hundreds of of, uh, PNP ones that people have done. And there's still, there's other, I mean, you know, when you see someone post something, and again, I haven't paid attention to it much recently, but um, certainly by the time I was done, there's still people putting out stuff with all sorts of really unique and innovative, um, you know, mechanics in it. And I think there's just a lot you can do with the space still. Um, You know, I think if anything else, and what you're referring to is it's just a little age of steam burnout for the most part after playing countless games um i don't know how many hundreds maybe not a thousand but hundreds and hundreds of games um you know it takes its toll after a sure, while you're like okay to be need something else um and uh, i don't play enough whenever i do play every once in a while that i play i get totally totally reamed by whoever i'm playing with because they <laughs> tend to be like ah oh, you're here you want to play this map and whether it's one of mine or someone else doesn't matter um i do not do well because you've got to kind of get back into that that whole thought thought process of, of being able to think, you know, a few steps ahead and where you're going to be and what you need to do. And uh, yeah, yeah my brain is, has not been in that particular mode for Age of Steam for a while now. So um, probably fun to get back into it at some point, but you know it's a time issue more than anything else. Probably so many new games.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. so So the one question that I would be skewered if I did not ask, so forgive me for asking it, but I have to. So you already kind of touched on whether or not you would ever revisit. So there's that. But maybe the bigger question, that, especially since we do a lot of playthroughs of various out-of-print Age of Steam maps, because, well, we, it's one of our favorite games and people really enjoy seeing some of the more obscure maps that are out there. Have you ever considered possibly reprinting or making available some of the older maps that either you or Bézier in general have uh, published?
1: So, yeah, so people ask that a lot, um, especially for the real old ones like uh, Bay Area, Disco Inferno, Train. Right. Um, the ones that I published for J.C. Lawrence, Sun in London, those were very popular. Um, and the answer is really, it's just, it's just a matter of economics. It's, you know, game boards are the most expensive thing, most expensive component of pretty much any game outside of, you know, a big box full of miniatures. Um, and so it just costs a lot. I mean, and, you know, the, the prices that I was charging for those maps, i mean, kind of had to do because I was doing such low print quantities, uh, at the time and the prices have not gotten any better at this point. So it is really unlikely. Um, okay. you know, it's, uh, it's kind of sad because I think spe- especially at Disco Inferno and Zoltrain, I w- they, they seem like they would benefit from having a real printed, you know, hard, hardbound version of those. Um, and of course everyone wants Bay Area too, because it's, you know it's not available but i think that's part of why they wanted to is because it's not available, it was available. <laughs> sure, i don't sure. know if it would be quite as popular um than the 50 or so copies that were originally printed well
0: may- maybe maybe we can get a grassroots effort together and if there's a big enough demand maybe we can we can work something there
1: well, there you go
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right so you have designed a huge variety of games from light social deduction to the aforementioned ages theme maps so what do you find most challenging, the one aspect or aspects of designing games?
1: The most challenging thing, I think, is playtesting enough. Um, I think that's—it it is probably one of the most critical <laughs> things that designers and publishers can do is a tremendous amount of, of playtesting and finding um, unique players to playtest things the first time and seeing what the responses are, um, getting people to play again and again and again, on different designs, um, a lot of hours goes into playtesting. Um, the Age of maps that I did, I mean, my friends, there's a core group of people, probably seven or eight folks in the Bay Area that um, I don't know if they dislike or hate me at this point. but. I'm sure they are sick of playing Age of Steam to death because I kind of like hey, got a new map and they're like oh my god, seriously? Oh
0: yeah, another map. Uh, all right. Awesome. Yeah.
1: So, but but it had to be done, you know, that's it's one of those things like you can come up with uh, any game designer or anyone who's not even designing games just thinking about them picking it up with, oh, this would be cool if it did this and this and this and you think that through and in your head it all works um, and then you put it down and your first self-test things go horribly horribly wrong. Um, but even when things on the self-test go right, and it seems, seems like they make sense, and when you take it and you put it in front of real live game players, then you realize, oh, okay, this does not work as I expected, or this is a little fiddly, or clumsy, or you know, I can see that people are getting they're getting fidgety because they're a little bored for the, in this particular area, and a lot of that stuff uh, really is. Uh, goes away if you play test enough and figure out how to address those things or in some cases many cases the hundreds of games that I have that are not published uh, you know you just realize well there's nothing I can think of to fix that right now so it goes away and maybe it'll come back some of them you know they're they're like tugging at me like please please come back please come back we think you can fix this it's really cool you walk um, into the
0: room and they're like uh, pick me is it my turn yeah right
1: <laughs> totally totally um but yeah again I think it's uh, it's play testing play testing takes a lot of time. Um, you know, it's uh, one of the first people that uh, I played games with uh, was Matt Leacock. He used to go to that same Monday night group, and quite the uh, Yahoo group. He was act- yeah, yeah, he actually worked at uh, at Yahoo, so yeah, Tom Lehman would go there occasionally. Um, probably some other designers I'm not thinking of right now. Sorry if I'm missing forgetting you guys, but uh, Matt brought a Pandemic and a few other games uh, to do play tests. And, um, you know, Matt, Matt was a UI designer at Yahoo, so, you know, he's already thinking about how people interact with things, and that was kind of his focus. And uh, he he would take ridiculous copious notes on everything that was happening in a playtest, much more so than I, I did, and I was always very impressed with that. And I think that's one of the reasons you'll see in his games that, you know, they're certainly not heavier games, but the stuff that he's done, it is, everything is polished, it works, there's no, you know, people don't go, you know, pandemic's good, except for this little aspect, unless you don't like co-op games, <laughs> right, right, sure. But anyway, uh, but but it's that sort of thing that you can tell that you know stuff before he even brought it to a publisher and got it published. Um, he had play tested as much as he could and made it as good as possible before it even got there. And uh, you know that's that's I think something that you know I love to see whenever I get a game from a designer that's you know, it's pitched to me as a publisher. Um, if they've play tested a lot, you can tell, you know, usually in the first couple of minutes of playing the game, you can kind of tell like, wow, they've, they've actually thought these things through and it kind of all works. And there's no weird little hiccups and, oh, well, maybe because you started with that card, that's why I did that or whatever. Um, you know, they, they've run through all those scenarios already and they've addressed them as, as best as they could. And uh, doing that as a game designer is absolutely huge and it's time consuming and it's, it's hard work. Um, and it is it's one of the reasons right now where why people are still waiting for Ultimate Werewolf Legacy, which we announced like a year ago, because <laughs> playtesting for that has been brutal. Um, you know, you've got to get a ton of people together and and uh, the games are, you know, at least an hour long. And we usually are actually setting them up so they play three games in a row and, uh, you know, making a change now that I've, I've learned about legacy games. You make one little change and it basically wrecks everything else. Right. Butterfly and,
0: effect. Right. Oh, it's
1: awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Rob Davio, when we first started working on that, I was like, you know, we can crack this out in a couple months, right? You know, you got this legacy thing he's down. Like, I got the oh, world thing cute. down. And he's, and he's like, you know, it's possible, I guess, but I think you might, you might, you know, you, yeah, put your change your expectations there a little bit, and I was like, oh, "We got this, Rob. It's fine." Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, and so we're still working on on things. Although it's really close, um, I'm I'm very excited about it. But boy, playtesting for that has been you know super important, but also it's that's brutal.
0: So okay, on that note, then let, let's ex- let's go down that road a little bit. As a publisher, um, or and and as a designer, so wearing either or both hats, how do you? How do you determine? Okay, it's been play, t- play tested, quote unquote, enough. What? It, 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 how do you make that determination?
1: Um, usually, it's you know I walk away from a couple play test sessions in a row, and I really can't think of any anything that makes sense to change. You know, play testers will always come up with something like, "Hey, what if you did this? Or, what if you did this?" And sometimes those are valid things. Other times, you kind of have to put it in perspective and think, "Why did they say that? What's really at the core of this?" and uh, You know, uh, just just recently, some of the games that are coming out right now, Whistle Stop, uh, Palace, um, Werewords, um, all of those were playtested up to a point where suddenly there was no point in playtesting anymore. And I actually felt like, you know what, if I playtested this more, it would just be to play, which is fine, and that's enjoyable to play with the final rules. But at that point, you realize, you know what, we're we're done, we're actually, we're ready to go. And you know, we can do some other things like uh, you know, the final blind uh, rules playtesting and a few of those other things. Um, but yeah, there's there's certainly a sense that you get like, you know it, this is this is as good as it's gonna get, and you know hopefully it's gonna be awesome and everyone's gonna love it. Um, some cases that's the case. Some cases it doesn't stick, um, but you know at least I feel pretty confident that pretty much all the games that we've published, I'm I felt they were done. They were ready to be published. They didn't need something else. You know you don't need an expansion to make them them work properly. Um, yeah, you know, that sort of thing. I think a, a great uh, a great example of that uh, is – I'm forgetting the name of it. The one um, dice game. is the word king in it. Uh, king's Forge. No, that's not it. Um,
0: oh, wh- help me out here. What now? With it's dice? It's a dice
1: game. It's, yeah, it's uh, you're placing your dice on the board. Um, probably look it up and find it pretty quickly. Um, but uh, king's – starts with king. Not
0: king's will, is it?
1: No. No, it's uh, – no, I'm not going to find it here. Anyway, um, there's an expansion that you have with it that basically fixes one of the big issues in the game, and you have to play it with the expansion. There's okay. a few games that are like that. Sure, that sure. That there, when it, there's it, an expansion, it, just, it it solves a problem that went out with the game. And I kind of hate that. I mean, it's great when they do fix it. That's nice. But the fact that it, it's out there in the base game, and you have to tell people, oh, yeah, just make sure you play with this part of the expansion or you're not going to have that much fun. Eh. Yeah, that's um, less than
0: ideal whenever a expansion becomes an essential part of the game. That kind yeah. of is a failing of the publisher and or designer, question
1: mark. And, you know, it's possible. And obviously, I think in, in that particular case, they felt that it was that was correct. That's the way to play it. Um, and then they, I don't know if they had done that you know, the expansion was a result of feedback from the original game or if that was something that was in the works. And they thought, no, you know what? We like it the other way better. But for me, it was one of those things that I feel you know. If you don't have the expansion, the game is less fun. Um, and it was I think they were using chits instead of uh, dice for determining the um, the the strength of the bad guys that are that are coming in or something like that at the end of each round. Gotcha. And uh, you know, it just kind of made the game playable and and less frustrating for people. It really just changed it. Um, you know, so, so Kingsburg. G- that's it.
0: Okay. Yeah. The a bunch Kingsburg. of people in in chat are, are mentioning Kingsburg. Um, yeah. so that kind of steals the thunder, I guess, of my, my all-time favorite question to ask every designer that I have on here is how do you decide a game is done and it's time to put it to bed, just when you're done playtesting and you can't think of anything else to change? Is that is that it? Uh,
1: that is probably the closest to it. Yeah. I mean that that point where at, at that point where you play test and you're not getting responses back from people that are well, um, yeah. Again, it's not just it's not just what they say. It's it's how they're playing the game, and you know the the way that they interact with each other and with the game, and you know it just feels feels like that. Wow, this is it right here. So um, you're anything else is just going to be messing with things. And so you read really body
0: language as well in your oh, players yeah. in everything. Just how in tune with the game are they, or have they yep. checked out, et cetera, et cetera, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Last night, in fact, we were at a playtesting session for a new social deduction game, I know, shocker, that I'm working on. <laughs> we'll and, get there. Uh, we'll get like, there. What? Why would you do that? Uh, and uh, I could definitely tell that uh, the majority of people were, they're playing, and they were, they were having fun, but they were not having fun like I expected them to have. And, uh, you know, at that point then, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what is the issue here? What is that thing that's missing? You know, why aren't they as engaged as I expect them to? And... Uh, yeah. I mean, that's definitely the, you know, you can ask them afterwards that you enjoy it. Though they might say yes or whatever. And I, I always try to have them, you know, just be honest. It's not going to hurt my feelings. I want you to tell me now because uh, what will hurt my feelings is if you post that remark after it's published. You know, you don't tell me now. That's really bad. Sure. Um, so I sure. want to hear that. But po- or, uh, It's of,
0: not positive feedback. It's honest feedback that helps you improve yeah, the game and makes for a better product, right?
1: Totally. Totally. I mean, even if someone says I absolutely despise that it was the least fun I've had playing a game. That's good feedback. That's good to know because, I, as a designer, you need to hear that stuff and you want to hear it when you're playtesting. You always want to hear that negative stuff as soon as possible when you're playtesting. And, you know, game people like games for subjective reasons. You know, people people will rate the best game. I'm sure a lot of people have rated Pandemic Legacy a one, you know, whether they are just doing it to be anti against the, the crowd or just because they really hate the game. Um, and that's understandable. It doesn't mean that it's a bad game. It means that they, for really, them, it's just not their thing. Yes. It's a terrible game. And, uh, you know, as a designer and publisher, that's still very hard. You're like, why don't you like this? Why, how could the <laughs> the this be? I, I think it's, I think it's awesome. Uh, but and at this point, I know that, you know, people think, you know, oh, this is, this is no good. Or this is, it's luck based or whatever. And, you know, the instinct is I want to send them a note and go, Excuse me, but no, you're wrong. This is why you're wrong. Can't do that because in their, you're not going to convince them anyway. But uh, in their mind, Arguing that's on how they the internet really feel about
0: always that. works.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's one of my least favorite games in the world, and I should like it is Brass. What? I don't know why. I know, I know. It's not weird. Uh, everyone always thinks that. I mean, my wife loves it. My gaming friends all love it. When it came out, they played the crap out of it. I've played it three times, and I don't know what it is, but something about it. Just never clicked with me to the point where I just don't ever play it. I don't understand a lot, but that's just how it was. And when I the new version
0: of Brass Birmingham, the 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 it's change, so it's a, when not Brass Lancashire, which is the brass oh, you know. When okay. you get a chance to try Brass Birmingham, I wonder if that because it's not static, right. it's an ever-changing setup. See if yeah. maybe that changes things. But
1: yeah, now I I feel bad. I have missed ahead. out on a lot of fun gaming because I did not like that particular game. But you know, like I said, that's it for me. That helped the fact that I don't like that, and I know that most other people who like those types of games do. uh, Just helped me realize that you know what. Regardless, if everyone if they if they like Suburbia and they like castles, that does not mean they're going to like Palace, even though it has a similar overall feel to it. Then that's fine. That's that is you know totally understandable, and uh, it would be great if everyone did. But that's it's very unrealistic to think that if everybody
0: liked the same game, there would be one game, right?
1: Yeah. So but it'd be awesome! Oh, that's right, thing, it'd though. be an amazing
0: yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ted. So my one of my favorite questions to ask designers: Who do you design for?
1: Uh, first, design for me uh, more than anyone else. I design because this is a game that I want to play. Um, you know, that's it's maybe some people would think that's selfish, but for the most part, I am going to have to play this game literally hundreds of times, <laughs> um, sometimes thousands of times. In the case like one night, I have played it thousands of times now. And wow. uh, if I, you don't like that game, um, it's it's that's a problem. Um, you've got to love. You've got to absolutely love the game that you're working on. Um, every single game that I've published has been a game that, at the time, I you know again you rate your own games a 10 on BGG and everyone jumps on you and says sure. that's ridiculous. But that's pretty much how I feel. Now in hindsight, I look back and go, oh, okay, maybe this wasn't that great. But at the time I'm publishing it, I mean that is. The top of the list. It is the best game ever. I absolutely love that game, and uh, that's that's got to be what it what it is. If I'm I'm not going to go. You know what? There's you know lots of people are doing co-op games, so maybe I should do a co-op game. Well, I don't actually like co-op games that much, so that's probably not going to be something I would be good at doing. Uh, I'd kind of have to force myself to do it, and I wouldn't enjoy it that much. And then I'd be demoing it. And, that's never going to happen. So um, yeah, pretty much every game that I publish, people can go, oh, well, that's the type of game that Ted likes. Um, You know, that's uh, in both design and in publishing. So a good example of that, we just published New York Slice earlier this year from Jeff Allers, which is a redo of Piece of Cake. And Piece of Cake, I thought was just awesome, it was elegant. Um, I really liked the I Cut You Choose mechanism. I love San Marco. San Marco's, a, I think, an amazingly underrated game. Everyone should get a copy, even though it's hard to find them. It's one of those that I need to talk to Rob about but doing for restoration. They need to do a, a revised, uh, right. graphics San Marco. That would be fantastic. But I love Piece of Cake. And I was talking to Jeff and looking at some of his new prototypes. And he happened to mention that when Piece of Cake was available for, for redoing it, and I was like, "Oh my god, I love that game! I love interview. That's a great way to get non gamers introduced to, to gaming, and uh, to be able to work directly with Jeff on that game and come up with some new stuff and to retheme it. That was awesome. That was exciting. Um, I love pizza. It all worked out really well. Um, you know, just I'm so happy with that game. I'm just I'm absolutely thrilled how it turned out, um, and everything about it. And I hope that that comes through for a lot of these games here. That you know, this is." You know, we're not just going. Oh, okay, it's done. We'll push it out. You're going, but no, there's there's definitely there's an intensity about the way we feel about these games when we're putting them out there.
0: That's that's really interesting to hear because mm-hmm. you don't always hear this. Because let's face it, as a since you wear multiple hats, meaning publisher and designer, the fact that it's not just okay, look, we have to pay the bills, but it's there's a legitimate passion in every single title that you publish. That's that's more. I don't know that I, I i have i have got that from everybody that i've spoken to in this hobby that's that's something different so is that a luxury do you feel like to be able to be that passionate about every single title as opposed to i don't want to say mailing it in uncertain titles but you you understand the sentiment
1: uh i could list a bunch of my publisher friends that mail it in no, i'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know if Bonacure is watching this, but no, there's here, Bonacure, I'll wait. No, There's uh you know, there's there's Michael over at Tasty Minstrel. I mean they're just, you know, they're like, hey, that looks good, let's just send it out there. No, um I, I actually I feel that a lot of them, you know, you know Steven is a great example. Um he loves those games he's publishing, he's handpicked those games, whether it's it's from a designer or whether he brings it over from Europe. And I know that those games he absolutely loves and you know, it's one of those things you can talk about with other publishers that when a game does not perform up to your expectations, you're sad about it. You're not sad necessarily. I mean, the financial thing is always one thing. Like, yeah, of course it sucks that it didn't, you know, couldn't go to a second printing, you couldn't make any more money. But you know, you feel like, wow, it could have could have had a better life out there. It it could have been, you know, it should have been more uh, more well received. It, it should have done better. And, and gee, why don't why did people get it? You know, the way that some of my playtesters and the way I felt about the game. Um, so I think I think there actually is a lot of that. Uh, you know, small publishers, um, you know, even the larger publishers. You know, but certainly, if, uh, you know, Zev when he was running Z-Man, uh, yeah, I, I mean, he was excited. I mean, you could see in his eyes he's excited about the new stuff. Um, when he picked up Pandemic, when he got the license for Agricola, you know, that's the sort of thing, and he's super excited about those things. He's like, oh my God, I get to publish this awesome game, and uh, you know. I think a lot of people in the hobby are that way. And it may not always talk about I would say the majority rich, are that
0: way, though. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, that's, you know, we obviously love games where we wouldn't be in this business. Um, most people that have a business degree, I have a, biz- I have a marketing degree. Most people have a business degree don't come out of school going, you know what? I want to make a lot of money. And the best way to do that is by starting a board game company.
0: Board game publishing. Is, yes. Yeah.
1: That's not the case, unfortunately. It, be great if it was we have even more games but uh you know it's it is pretty low on the list i think of of ways to make money fast so uh you've got to be passionate about games and uh, hopefully about the games that you're publishing in order for for that to, to happen
0: all right so sticking on the design side what interests you in a, in a design what excites ted ausbach about designing a game is it a certain mechanism is it usually theme is it a uh, whatever hits you what strikes you and why
1: Usually it's it's mechanics for me. It's mechanics first. Um, you know, I, I, I look at, uh, Knizia's games, uh, his, the good stuff from the nineties the and early two thousands. <laughs> Not that some of the stuff he's done. Recently, no, no, okay. let's be honest. Yeah. Tiger Smith, Fred yeah uh, Tiger I'm Amon Ray. I'm so happy that a uh, tasty minstrel put out a, an Amon Ray that doesn't have the chalky pieces because those really irritated me before and, and pieces in the new one are great. Um, you know, I, though he was always about mechanics first. Um, even though I could critical a couple interviews with him and he, he said, he did one with, uh, um, Scott and Dirk on BGG speak back geek speak back in the day, way back in he the said, day. Yeah. Yeah. Back in mid two thousands where he said that, uh, Oh no, Tiger's new fair was, was theme first. And then he built a game around it. And I don't think he's lying, but I was so surprised because that feels like such an abstract game and the way it works. And, uh, the fact that it was thematically that, that the theme came first was was shocking, um, and I think a lot of the other things for him don't really. It seems you know he's a mathematician. I think he thinks along those lines about you know you know systems that work together and, and the math
0: behind other. them, right? Sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that's and and I can definitely appreciate that. And that's certainly the the mindset that I have is I want you know I like the way that things interact together. Um, you know, if you look at some of the the older games that I did that aren't as popular. Um, well, they aren't popular at all. Even uh, so, there's uh, you know, two two games um, that I still think just they they would do better now if I published them now as they did ten years ago or whenever I published them. Rapscallion, which was a um, you're trying to make the best poker hand by by playing cards and the the system in which you do it. I'm still very very happy with because you have these bidding cards and then you use the bidding cards to get good poker cards and then twice during that while you're building up this hand of poker cards you use the best poker card to try and get another good poker uh, bidding card so you can get better poker cards at the so end.
0: give and take as far as yeah you've got right. this,
1: you this this balance between the two and it's very very cool and it of course never took off and you know it's the real card game whatever but uh yeah, very very happy with the way that it just makes me happy when that worked together and you know, the, the fact that, uh, you know, with suburbia, the balance between income and reputation and how as you go up your population track, you get penalized every once in a while because um, you've got that overhead cost. Right. Uh, I am very, very happy with how that turned out and that that sort of thing. You know, for me, that's that's the exciting stuff about games. Uh, when you're able to uh, attach a theme to it, that makes a lot of sense. Or you know, even if you're doing it with a theme in mind and, and that just ends up working, that's great. But uh, you know, definitely for me, it's, it's figuring out what's that cool system or that cool interplay uh, that gets people really engaged and, and interested. And uh, you know, like I said, if I'm not engaged and interested while I'm I'm playing self testing, then I know it's going to be a problem.
0: Is that the same place that you get your inspiration from? Or is that something from a from a different aspect?
1: Um, I think certainly um, a lot of the inspiration I've gotten is, is, is not from other games um, as much as other things you know that are tangential to, to that. So, for instance, Castles came about because... Castles liked,
0: being Castles of Mad King Ludwig for those Yeah, Castles listening. of Mad King Ludwig
1: yep. was uh, originally based upon my love of drawing dungeons for Dungeons and Dragons, you know, all the way through high school, I'd have graph paper and just making those things and kind of like, what are people going to do? And, and, you know, how do these things interact with each other? And oh, there's a secret passageway here and this is all cool. Um, and you know, when you're done and you look at it and you're like, this is a cool dungeon. This is very cool. I can't wait (laughs) to get this on, you know, the table and, and piss off my friends. Uh, that's, that, that's kind of where, Castles came from because it was like ah, it'd be cool to design that or a house or something along like a mansion. It was originally mansions. I don't remember what the name was, but it was it was about mansions. Um, and uh, when I when I brought on Dale U, the developer, uh, and he suggested castle, he suggested it be themed for King Ludwig. That was awesome. That was like oh my gosh, it fits perfectly. Um, and uh, it actually added to this, you know some of the mechanics and the theme, and we, we were able to make it even better as a result. But uh, for that, a lot of the the Interplay and the way it worked was mechanics first, and it was the things that you know kind of what I wanted to do with the game for uh, the upcoming Palace of Med King Ludwig. It was originally going to be Castles the Card Game. Um, and uh, as much as I wanted to publish Castles of Med King Ludwig the Card Game, which I was going to cleverly call Cards of Med King Ludwig because I thought it was very <laughs> that's original. At the time, yeah, exactly. That was you know 2015 Ted, so uh, he's not as bright as 2017 Ted. 2017 Ted's much more educated, much more aware of what's going on. Uh, but I really wanted it to be a card game, and the more I developed and worked on it, the more it was like, this is ridiculous. Why are we using cards? These should be tiles. Meaning, and then you're you're once, trying to
0: shoehorn, kind of.
1: I, I didn't realize I was until at that point where I flipped over and said, you know what? If these were tiles everything a lot of these things that were not quite working as well would work and i'm like oh all right um and it was a little sad because that whole idea of a card game went away um <laughs> still have a couple other little things that they're working on for that so now that's, it's that's the, off the
0: tiles of yeah. King ludwig
1: there we go there that's clever <laughs> yeah i don't know so okay but, so
0: so kind of on that mm-hmm. note um and th- this is this is something that i'm always curious about I feel like I'm the world's biggest five year old. I always want to know the why and the how of behind things. And so it fascinates me being able to sit down with designers like yourself, slash publishers in this case. But how do you like how do you start on designing a game? You say that it's mechanics first, but are you sitting there playing a game and like, wow, that's kind of clever. Hey, I could use that into in a new way or how how do you even get started on this stuff?
1: Um, it's a variety of things. Um, you know, it's, there's, there's, there's triggers of some sort, usually something that is, you know, I've read a book or seen something or, you know, clicking around on the internet and you're like, huh, wonder if that'll work. Um, just this morning I was working on something, I was working on, um, some upgrades for the, the WhereWords words app and some word lists that we're integrating. And, uh, you know, I was wondering to myself, why in the world didn't I think of, uh, putting, America, when I did the, the, the trivia game, America, why I didn't use an app for all the, the cards instead of actually including physical cards in the box, because we could have done a lot more. Um, it, it would have been a lot cheaper to produce. Uh, we would have sold more copies because it would have been cheaper because we charged less for it. Um, you know, all sorts of little things like that will trigger. And then of course, then I'm thinking, hmm, well, maybe I should think about redoing really that and talk to Freedom and see if he wants to you know do a mobile version of, of uh, Terra and Fauna and America and see what that would be like and so it's a variety of things that'll cause you know that spark to start something so is it
0: just literally you're going through your day and it just happens at random times to where you're just constantly subconsciously on the lookout for ideas
1: i wouldn't say constantly but i I, you know certainly like i said when something hits where i'm like ah that's interesting or i wonder oh that would be cool um, you know i need to jot it down as soon as possible just make a little note of it and then if it's something that i come back to you know shortly then i'll write what i call a concept sheet which is you know one or two pages of this is how I think this game would work you know and it's kind of do a quick list of what i imagine components would be and how many players would work and kind of the, the flow of the game um, and maybe a few little details and uh, once i get that far then it's you know put that aside for a little unless it's super awesome and i, I, I can't wait and i get back to it right away but usually I put that aside for a little and then if it if it comes up again i'm just thinking i'm like something else pops up for that then it ends up turning into something that ends up being self-tested and hopefully play tested and then eventually published but a lot of things don't make it past those first couple steps there's a lot of uh word or pages documents i have on my computer that are you know a couple paragraphs of notes and that's it um you know and a ton also that, again, or that full page and a half, it sounded really cool. And then as the more I started thinking about it or whatever, I was like, eh, eh, that's not really going to do it. Okay. Um,
0: but it's yeah. stuff that can also trigger other things potentially down the road, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely um, things that I've worked on for games that haven't been published that have made it into games that were published. Um, and that's that's a nice thing because already, I've already thought about that particular system or those mechanics or, or something.
0: Okay. So do you impose any limitations within your own designs, whether it's the scope or the components, especially having a publisher hat on? Are you thinking about it? Well, I don't want to make it this this many chits or this many punch boards because that's going to add that much cost. Or are you just let the design go where it goes and then work backwards from there?
1: Sometimes. I think as, you know, the more I've been doing publishing now, I am thinking a little bit about those things. And, you know, when you get to things, you know, the DICE game, we published a couple of games with DICE, uh, Favor the Pharaoh from Tom Lehman, and then Colony, Colony which yeah. I worked on with a couple of Japanese designers that had a previous design. And, you know, it, they needed, both games needed DICE. Um, in the case of Favor the Pharaoh, it needed custom DICE. In the case of Colony, it needed just a crap ton of DICE. Um, and they cost a lot of money. And it was one of those things like, well, that's how the game works. And the, both games were that's they were good enough and they were the types of games that I thought really deserved that you know we're gonna go forward with these even though they're gonna cost more money to produce and and all the other things that go along with that um, you know the custom dice for instance favor the Pharaoh has I don't know six or no, probably more than that, because there's a bunch of dice that have different numbers of pips on them. There's maybe ten different custom dice that are that are part of that, um, as opposed to the regular dice that are with it. And of course, custom dice cost more than regular dice, and we going to get really good dice because to um, court the king didn't have the greatest dice, and people always substituted their own dice for that game, and so we wanted to fix that. And um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's really does the game play really, really well. And uh, you know, if if it's if it does and it's unpublishable, that sucks. Um, you know, at some point I'll stop working on it as a result for when I, once I realize that. But that doesn't happen too often. I think there's, you know, there's not too many things that, that come out that way. All right. Um, certainly, um, you know, being able to use an app for things for one night and uh, for Rare Words. And if I had thought of it at one point for America, that would have made sense or even Tara. Um, but uh, that those things help actually, you know, for Rare Words to be able to the fact that we have this this online thing where we have the app has, you know, Thousands and thousands and thousands of words and these difficulty levels. Well, for cards, it would have cost so much money to put that in a box.
0: Whereas an um, app, just a couple more yeah. words spoken, well, right? It, I mean...
1: it costs money to develop it. It's not free, but it's a one-time cost, and you're done, kind of at that point. Yeah, I mean, we're going to keep upgrading for wherever We're going to add more stuff, but for one night, for instance, the stuff that we did there uh, for Alien, which it needs the app for, you know, the development cost is done. It's ready to go. I play tested uh, Alien which needs an app because it does randomization. I play tested it with actual physical components and it was gross because I had basically had to, you know, shuffle a bunch of these different little cards and, you know, come up with a different one each time. And, and to actually play that in analog fashion would have been horrendous. that would have been an unpublishable game had there not been a, an electronic solution for it. Um, So, you know, I think uh it, it's cool that there's there's other alternatives, but at the same time, there are some games that you get to that there really is no really good solution for, and to make the game work, it's just gonna you know cost too much' there's, I like dexterity games. um I've only published one of them, but uh, I would love to publish more, but the ones I wanna publish would cost way too much. They would you know require an immense amount of wood or plastic or something and it just doesn't make any sense so, so.
0: Uh, talking about apps obviously you are a big proponent of using apps in games how did that come to be and where do you see that going down the road just in general uh, across the entire board game hobby
1: i mean i think of it as just another component just like cards dice uh, anything else game boards Um, And I think it should be viewed that way, and it shouldn't be, there should never be a thing where someone goes, I want to create an app-based game. Um, And I certainly would never think, huh, I want a game that requires an app, because that's kind of a weird way to start. You know, uh, There are, you know, there's a designer uh, friend of mine that actually pitched me a game at Gen Con that has an app that is not required, but it enhances the game a lot. And that's the sort of thing where I think really... Really, is you know, if theoretically you could do the game without the 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 app, but the app just makes the game so much better. Well, then that's that's kind of cool, and that's where you you know it makes sense to have an app. Uh, in general, I think it's it's totally fine. You know, uh, smartphones are ubiquitous. Uh, most all gamers have them. Um, games that require each person to have their own phone, uh, I think. Um, I forget if Alchemist required everyone to have their own phone or if you could share one I for that. I think you could. I don't remember anymore.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to remember as uh, well. I've played yeah. it a few but, times. But, I think it made it easier uh, if nothing. Yeah, else.
1: You, you could do it otherwise, but it was kind of a, a little clunky, right? Sort of thing. And I think that was they, they, you know, they marketed more of like, hey, there's this cool app that does this, which was cool. It was kind of cool to be able to, you know, um, scan stuff and, and figure that out. But it was the idea that it could be played otherwise. You know, that's good. That's that's you know, there weren't requiring you to get an app and i don't think they went into that doing that it's just a deduction game would have a lot of things going on and that way you don't have to have some secret chart and you know one of the big things with deduction games is you know without a moderator or someone that knows everything that's going on someone you somehow have to get to that hidden information in a way that doesn't break the game right and an app is a way to do that which is kind of neat
0: so on that note though um what would you say to folks that are I hesitate to use the word scared, but of uh, worry, concerned about an app not ha- being updated, not being able to be compatible five years, 10 years from now, whereas Cardboard doesn't change. Cardboard's Cardboard.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so we have, I don't know, like seven or eight different apps that we've put out for the you know, setup apps and things for different games, and uh, one of them that we hadn't touched for a while uh, was the timer for Ultimate Werewolf which is a timer app and it's a fairly complex timer app so let's the moderator do a bunch of things so that they can make the games go faster. And we hadn't updated it for a while and it was totally incompatible with iOS 11. Um, so we just updated that actually the update should be popping up uh, any day now on there but uh, it's something that you know the more apps we have there is there's an upkeep cost to that going forward and you know, some games that are older, you know, if it's a setup app, you know, we just set up app for Colony and for Favor of the Pharaoh, that's not critical because you don't really need that. It's nice. Uh, for One Night, you absolutely need to have it. For Words, you absolutely need to have it. So those we need to keep updated, you know, and we will until, you know, far, far in the future, hopefully, when then you know, the game stops selling at some point uh, that we can consider not updating it. But for, you know, the next five years, at least, we are kind of chained to that. And, uh, you know, it's kind of our responsibility as a publisher to... Get, make sure that that is working with uh, you know as many devices as possible um, especially certainly when new ones are coming out thanks Apple um, <laughs> we have to make sure that they work so
0: well it's good to hear that a publisher sees that as a responsibility and not just you know what hey sorry we put it out there it worked when we put it out there and that's that so that you're yeah. you're willing to stand by your product for at least a certain amount of time the foreseeable future as it were
1: yeah yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, that's reasonable, um, but it is one of those things to consider if you're using an app as part of your game and how integral the app is, that uh, you know, you're going to need to really support that because you know, it's great right now I can take a copy of you know, a game that was pretty like modern art and I can play it because, hey, everything's there. There's no dependencies on what the technology was back in 1992 or whenever that was published. And uh, to take a game of one night from now, 20 years from now, and not be able to play it because there's no devices that support the, the app anymore that's a problem, that that kind of sucks. You right. Know, that, that game's kind of dead and lost at that point. So um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly a responsibility and you know, um, something that we're gonna have to keep in mind going forward with the different apps that we have.
0: All right. So I read about how you chose regular sided dice for colony as opposed to custom dice for a functionality standpoint. So yeah. where do you uh, put the priority as far as form versus function or vice versa?
1: I think most people would realize that they look at our games. Um, our games tend not to be um, overly graf- graphically beautiful, I guess, is the the, the nice I, way to put it. Other people will, information will put other forward. comments.
0: Right? It's information this, forward, so function yeah. over form, Yeah, which is function the first. most important um, thing,
1: right? In my mind, yes. And I think people who play, I would think basically a lot of people who are, are watching this right now and listening to this, uh, they are probably a little bit more towards that camp, you know. Um, Splatter games, I love Splatter games. Uh, you know, the guy uh, Jerome who runs that is—he's fantastic. He's—he's um, he's a super great guy. He loves his stuff, and he—you know—his games aren't ugly. Well, the older ones are a little ugly, but the newer <laughs> stuff's not ugly at all. Fair uh, enough. And and and, uh, and the, the thing is, uh, that's what he cares about. He wants—he wants to have that 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 amazing interactive those mechanics that just flow together really well. And, you know, if graphics or, you know, the components got in the way of that, you know, if you put miniatures in this game, I don't really think roads and boats would be better with miniatures. Okay, it would be a little better, but, but it would not be a lot better. It wouldn't make me, it wouldn't make people who don't play roads and boats now play roads and boats because now you've got miniatures instead of pieces of wood to represent, you know, your donkeys and things. Right. So, um. I'm trying to picture but,
0: roads and boats with minis right
1: now. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, think about it. Huh. It's uh, it's too bad there's not enough copies out there. We could get uh, the Meeple Source folks to at least do some really that's cool Meeple That would
0: be very much a niche market, but I, I could. They, I,
1: I, and I, the I, thing is, the people who run Meeple Source, Cynthia and, and Chris Landon, they love their heavy games, so it's not out of the question. That, that is Maybe true. I'll have to talk I, to them about that. I, I
0: I I've talked with them enough to know that, so it's possible. Sure. I mean, right. huh. so, Something we yep. could talk to Yurun about. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. So how do you feel that you have grown into, as a designer since you started way back in the day, back in the uh, back in the 90s?
1: Well, um, you know, 90s, well, because 2000s. I mean, but. Yeah, I'm a publisher um, as well. And I think, you know, certainly when I was doing designs back when I first started designing any games, like party games and kind of not good games, uh, you know, I was not thinking – really a lot about you know how other people would interact with each other as much and and how uh things that you know just overall the, there's, there's a lot of other things that are going in in my head like you know how long does this take um, The first games i designed i really didn't care it was it was you know i want a great game and if it takes three hours to play it takes three hours to play now i realize that well that's nice but very few people will play a three-hour game unfortunately hey, that's just not we're growing the there
0: are more and more out there that are that there are, there going are. that way
1: there are there are but still a 3 hour game is a tough sell unfortunately um you know and you know as much as i enjoy the occasional game of democr i also realize that i'm not going to play it more than a couple times a year because it's as long as it is fair enough any other games that are like that um so i think a lot of those sorts of considerations um you know uh the the complexity, in terms of the upfront complexity, is something that I didn't used to consider, and I, I consider that a lot now. And I think um, you'll see that in a lot of Bezier Games games is that we try to keep the rules as, as small and tight as possible, and let you discover a lot of the things to how to play, you know, as you play the game, and things that are on the tiles or things that are on the cards, and that's what kind of enhances the gameplay, and you don't really have to learn this much upfront, because um, that's that's a huge road roadblock, certainly for getting new gamers into the hobby, uh, you know. You know, I know you you tell someone, yeah, the rules are going to take about 25, 30 minutes and they're just their eyes will glaze over. Other people are like, oh, cool. There's all sorts of great stuff here for me to (laughs) dig into. But I realize that the majority of people are not like that. And, you know, they want 10, 15 minutes at the most.
0: So on that note, do you see that as your job kind of as Bézier Games to cater to bringing new people into the hobby then? What is the uh, kind of transitioning into the publishing side now then? Um, what do you see as the brand identity then for Bezier Games?
1: Uh, yeah, I think for us, certainly, um, you know, we've been, we've been really fortunate. There's a couple titles that have done really well, and uh, they've done well outside of hobby gamers. Um, you know, hobby gamers, certainly, I mean, uh, castles in suburbia, hobby gamers really enjoy it, and that's awesome. But uh, castles in particular has done really well for a strategy game in non-hobby game areas. Um, A lot of people refer to it as a good spouse game. It's a go-to spouse game that if you're a gamer and your your spouse isn't, she'll actually play castles with you for a variety of reasons. Um, You know, there's... um, This sounds really terrible. I'm sure people will be offended, but there's the shopping aspect. There is something about that that I think... Attracts non gamers to hey, there's cool stuff I can buy. I can get things that are better. There's values I place on things. The, yeah, and I, the, I think you that's
0: know, that's unisex. I don't feel like that's one or the other. I think people enjoy, but it's for, for non gamers. Sure. I guess yeah. is the,
1: the thing is non gamers can appreciate that. You know, it's like I'm getting a deal here. I'm getting a really good value for what I'm paying for something. There's something about that. I think that's that's goes beyond gaming. That people just like that sort of thing. Uh, you know, people like. Uh, you know, after they're done creating something, to look back and go, "Oh, that's kind of cool." You know, that's in suburbia. That's clearly that's Detroit in the '90s. You know, or or whatever. And there's there's something about that that um, appeals to the non-gamer. And so a couple of our games that have done that that's that's awesome. That's fantastic. And then you know, some of the social deduction games have also gone beyond the typical gamer. Um, you know, one night I don't know where it's ranked on BGG now, probably in the two hundreds or something, um, but uh, you I think know, it that's was our best-selling
0: game. last I looked. I think so, okay. something like that.
1: Um, it, it's and it's not rated as, as you know, uh, the, the ratings aren't as high. There's a lot of people that, that do rate it, but the ratings aren't as high as some of the other games. But you know, it's our best-selling game because I think a lot of people who don't put a BGG like playing the game. You know, they play it with their friends and family, and you can play it with non-gamers, and that's kind of cool. And uh, you know, when I'm at a and I'm at a Gen Con or something else, and someone walks up to the booth and they're they're just excited to say, and they actually come up and they just say, Hey, I just want to thank you for this because now my friends or my family or my mom or whatever plays this game with us. And we didn't do that before. That's awesome. That's oh, that very feels cool. amazing. That is, I'm sure that is one of the, the nicest, nicest things that you can possibly, you know, hear from people. And, you know, and that, that's, I love hearing that. You know, I get, um, occasionally get notes from people. I have on my desk here. I have a handwritten letter that someone sent me that was, I don't know how old they are, because they did not say it, but it was a kid of some sort, basically saying how much they loved one night. Here's a bunch of ideas for roles. Um, they don't want any money. They just want to you know, have to use the ideas to give them credit. And they're just so excited about the game and they absolutely love it. And that sort of thing is awesome. That is that's one of those things that, you know, that that undoes all those those nasty little Reddit comments and uh, the the one ratings with, the uh, you know, utter garbage, you know, comments uh, from people that just wipes those away because, you know, that's, you know, it made a difference in some people's lives in terms of they've, they've spent a lot of time with these games and they've really, really enjoyed them or they've gotten a spouse to play a game that hadn't before. And, and that, that wasn't willing cool. and
0: they found a commonality there. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that's awesome. And it's great it's great for both people in the relationship then the gamer gets to do something with his wife that he didn't think he'd be able to do before or or her husband and vice versa that suddenly they're spending time together doing something and that they're both enjoying it's not kind of like yeah, I'll do this for you because, you know, we should do stuff together and I know it's your thing and I'll just you know, I'll suffer through it. Right. But if they're, they're really the enjoying play, it, it's yes. awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's very cool. It, that's, it, that's it, awesome. it is.
0: Even though we are in different uh Aspects of this hobby. I can relate to that last bit you said to where, you know, when you hear those those impacts that what it is that you've created has an impact on somebody. It tends to help offset some of the less nice things that can yeah. be said. Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, because we're here right?
1: and I. Yeah, it's it's so easy to say stuff on the internet too. You know, just to off, an offhand comment—that's—that's—that's—that's easy. That's, 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 that that's but
0: yes, that... but uh,
1: yeah, the the in-person stuff when someone says something nice, that's just awesome. It and, really uh, is. You know, this this particular Gen Con, I don't know if it was there were a lot of new attendees or whatever, but um, yeah, there was a lot of that, and it was just it was just. Yeah, it floored me. I mean, there are a couple couple that are like, that was the nicest thing. You know, I'm like I just want to go home now, I'm done. You know, it's great that everything else is doing well with the business, but that is so cool. Yes, that feels um, really
0: good. You know, That's awesome to yeah, hear. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you go about again, putting your publisher hat on, how do you go about selecting the games that you, Ted, did not design? Because earlier you had mentioned how whenever people present games to you, you can tell whether or not a game has been polished, if you will, or at least play tested enough to where they have thought about certain aspects, does that help uh, get a game into Bézier, or is it just, it depends on how much time you're willing to put into a game, how does that selection process work it, for you? It
1: helps tremendously, I mean, it, it's, um, so, there's it's a good example, so at, at Essen, I only um, saw two designers, um, Mark Garretts, who just published Mini Rails. Which is had- phenomenal, by the way. We'll talk about that in a second, (laughs) which is very amusing. So I I talked to him, and I also talked to Jeremy Kletzkin, who uh, is the designer of Werebeast, which we're publishing. Uh, We have a Kickstarter up for that now. And uh, those are the only people I talked to because they had these pitches that they talked to me. I hadn't met either of them in in person before. Um, I knew of Mark's work and Jeremy's fairly new. he has got some designs now, but he hadn't had any before. But uh, they they pitched us, they don't really pitch me, they pitched the company, and then some things get filtered to me if it's if it makes sense. But it was it was really clear, it was, you know, here's some games that we think you might be interested in and here's why. Super succinct to the point. Um the the one for Warebeasts was just on target. It was just spot on, like that makes sense. He's actually thought through this, that this is a game that he could see in our catalog. And he told me why. And, uh, you know, when I saw the game, when he showed it to me, we played it with three players, which at that time was a terrible number to play with. It was the worst possible number. It was it was a game from three to 10 and the sweet spot was five or six at that point when he was showing it to me. But I still understood how, what the game was and what he had done with it and why, um, you know, it was going to be, why it could be a really good game possibly at that. So it's when I took back and, we made him an offer probably within a week or two of, uh, of S, and we signed that. Um, so talk real quickly about Mark Garrett's game. Uh, so uh, the the game was Mini Rails. I think it was originally Chattanooga Choo Choo was the prototype name. So he showed me a couple of games, and uh, one of them was that. And uh, we play tested that a lot. We tested that several, several times. Um, we passed on it. And we passed on it because not because we didn't think it was a good game, but because we didn't see how it could possibly be a Bézier game game. Um, it did not fit with... Our particular line of games. So, you know, if you look at our games, you know, with the exception of New York Slice, which is kind of in the middle of things, um, you know, we've kind of had the social deduction, smaller box games, and we have the larger strategy games, you know, a couple party games there and there. But uh, it didn't feel like we couldn't, I didn't think it was appropriate to add anything to the game to make it a bigger box game, something that would take 45 minutes to an hour minimum, you know, up to an hour and a half, um, because the game itself really is 20 to 30 minutes right now. Right. Um, And Um, it just, it was such a clean, elegant design that, you know, it was again, like, should we make the exception and go for this? And I was like, you know what? It doesn't make sense. I think it actually, for us to do this, um, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to add anything to it. And there's probably other publishers that may make this better. They would probably enhance the graphics, which is, you know, know, the, the mini rails result, you know, they made the, the board is beautiful. Um, the, the gameplay is essentially the same i don't know how much has changed um from the the thing but very very little from what he presented so it was actually final but uh you know that's the sort of thing that that we saw that game and we're like this is this is a really good game and in fact um my notes uh, i looked at them not that long ago when i saw the mini rails was being published i just looked at my notes what i sent back to mark about it and it was one of the notes was this is going to get published by someone, it's not going to be us, but someone is definitely going to publish this thing. Um, and, you know, I just told them why we wouldn't be able to do it. And there were two little things that we found with the game that were, you know, things that we thought we had to work on. And that was it. You know, that was kind of one of those things. And, but, but it was still, uh, you know, one of those, one of those things like it's, it's great to get uh, designers to give you games that are, you know, it, it was really, 95 percent done. It was clearly play tested. He had thought about how things interact, different player counts, what what issues were. Um, you know, there's the a beginning turn and end turn issue that are mostly resolved. I believe in mini rails um, in terms of you know sometimes the the last thing you do is kind of a cookie cutter, just automatic is going to happen. And your starting thing didn't seem as impactful. And I think those are addressed a little bit now with the the published version. So you know. Anyway, that's it's kinda cool um, seeing that stuff uh, when it comes in and, and the, the more playtesting and the more polish it is when it comes in there, that helps a lot because uh, That's less you know, time I, you have I don't, to
0: spend I don't, with it, right?
1: Well yeah, it's not the time, it's the I don't wanna undo someone's work, you know, redo it. I if if um, you know, for instance, it's one thing for like myself and Tom Lehman, I mean, when we sat down and we talked about what we could do to make to court the king better. And he had some expansions and we talked about different things that, you know, there were issues with the original Depart the that we wanted to address and what else we could do. And that's a little different as opposed to Tom giving me a final version of what became a favor of the Pharaoh and saying, do you want to publish this? Um, so that that part I enjoy. Uh, same thing with Scott Caputo. Scott Caputo showed, showed a um, whistle stop really early on when it was this weird um, Hindu getting, carrying something up mountains game. Um, And, you know, he was very straightforward and saying, you know what? It needs some, some stuff here and there, but uh, you know, he, you know, would like, he he thought it might work for us. And it would be something to be interested in working with him on. That's different. And it's also Scott and Tom are people that I've known for a long time. And so I'm comfortable knowing that, okay, I could probably work with them. Um, Whereas, you know, some designer that I don't actually know, it's a little, you know more sketchy as in you know will this actually work um so i i don't mind spending the time um but from a new designer that you're not aware of then it's it's not as clear and i kind of don't want to to you know develop the game so much that their original game is lost you know because sure. they hadn't gone through some of those motions
0: that so something that you just said uh I, i'm curious about how as a publisher you make the delineation between how do you decide this is x is going to be in an expansion and versus you know what we should include this in the base game
1: um to me um you know there's certain things um suburbia is a great example you know we ended up publishing two expansions for that so far um and the base game is it's the right stuff in there uh you know there was Talk at the time, and some people would, would probably wish that I had of taking out uh, the casino and the PR firm and making those part of an expansion set because they were possibly too powerful. Uh, but at the end of the day, in play tests, you know, I still feel very strongly they belong in the base game. That you know, they they provide this. It's kind of that that extra um, strategy that if you're aiming for all game game long and it hits, and you, know, you know the PR firm comes out at the beginning of the C stack. Um, you are in great shape, and you're gonna have a really good chance of winning. But if it doesn't, you're probably screwed because of the way you set up, you know, your board and, and everything at, at that point. And it just added that extra layer of strategy that made sense um, to give a different
0: path that people could shoot for, right? Right,
1: right. And knowing that that's there, uh, you know, one of the things people don't talk about as much there's the recycling center, which is a one that gives you a reputation for a bunch of your yellow tiles and. Uh, some people and myself included, uh, you know, as you're playing, you may set up a, a thing, basically a six hex thing of yellow tiles, hoping that recycling center comes out. Because when it does, boom, you're going to pop it right in the center and you're going go up twelve reputation uh, just from one tile, and that by itself is huge. And it's cheaper than the PR firm, and not it's not universally desired by everyone like the PR firm probably is. Um, and so there's there's a, lot, a bunch of those things there. But in terms of you know what makes it an expansion or not, it's uh, at some point it feels like it's not critical or necessary for the game to, to be correct. You know, that's, uh, uh again, uh, the borders that ended up being suburbia Inc. Th- there was discussion of using those sorts of things in suburbia. And we tried some you know, double tiles and some other things like that. Um, and it really was just unnecessary, you know, at, at some point and you just, you take those things out and a, a lot of designers go through that process. If you strip away the, 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 extra stuff, the fluff, that right, you don't really right. need in there as much. And uh, you know, that happens with a lot of games. Um, it, it's rare that something gets added towards the end. Um, it's much more common that at the end, you realize, you know what, this extra thing, you know, people are having issues around it. If we got rid of that or totally changed the way it worked, that actually solves an issue. And sometimes getting rid of it and going, you know what, Put that aside, think about that for an expansion and see maybe you know we can do something like that you know, for an upcoming expansion. So if that makes a lot of so sense. So
0: within the playtesting itself, there is the actual process, maybe not a conscious effort of, you know what? if we remove this, this makes the base game better, but maybe down the road we could develop this one aspect further and make that, turn that into an expansion. So you're using some of that old work that you've used and you're not throwing it away. You're just, look, the base game doesn't need this is what you're saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's not necessary for an expansion, although that comes to mind sometimes, but it's, I'll come back to the, you know, if it, if it feels like it's missing this, I'll come back to that later. And then you never come back to it because you realize it wasn't really <laughs> critical to it. So, you know, that's where a lot of those things go. And, um, you know, most, like I said, most things come out. Uh, it's rare that you put things in during the process. Um, you know, you put stuff in towards the beginning and then, uh, you know, as playtesting goes on, there's a certain point you peak your reach and then stuff just comes out and gets modified slightly. Uh, and those things that come out, you know, when I look back on the original version of a game or... You know, one month in playtesting, uh, you realize there's a lot of stuff there that we took out, and for good reason at the time. But maybe now that the game is finished and now you can see how that would work with it, there's a way to maybe twist it around or modify it so that it's more functional. That,
0: okay. That Yeah, I could see that. So then you had talked about earlier when you were talking about how you kind of have... For lack of a I, – I don't want to put hard buckets on this, but you have your your social deduction games and then kind of the bigger box, kind of bigger strategy games. Sure, roughly. roughly yeah. right. right? Um, are there ever any – do games – obviously, a strategy game doesn't become a social deduction game. I get that but is there any kind of transformation that goes from one side to the other? Like you think it's going to fall into one bucket and it ends up, you know what, if we add this or we take this away, it switches buckets. Does that happen or is that more the exception to the rule?
1: Yeah, I would say that that probably doesn't happen. I mean, at least for those distinct, more distinct product lines um, in that area, you know, it's either going to be more strategy-based or it's going to be more social deduction, faster, lighter party-ish okay. based. Um, so where did it, the that, social
0: deduction stuff come from with you?
1: Uh, love playing Werewolf. Love playing Werewolf. I was so frustrated with the commercial stuff that was out there. Um, the, the There were three games that were out there when I was playing Werewolf. It was Lupus and Tabula from Mayfair, um, which was the import of an Italian game. Uh, there's Werewolves of Miller's Hollow, which is an import of the French a game from Asmodee now, um, this other company that Asmodee purchased like they do for lots of companies. And uh, <laughs> Lo- Looney Labs, Are You a Werewolf, and Looney Labs, Are You a Werewolf is probably the most popular one in the US at the time. Um, all of them have just limitations, and you know, I love playing werewolf, and I was always frustrated that some of them had some things, some of them didn't have other things, but a lot of them just didn't have the right stuff as far as I was concerned. It's, it's not the, 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 what I wanted in a werewolf game. Uh, you know, the number one thing is none of those None of those games had descriptions of the roles on the cards Which, you know, you play the more funky roles you have in there The harder it is for people to keep track of what they are And having the descriptions on the cards When they get their card, they look and they go Oh, I see, this is what this here does Or the sorcerer does, or witch, or whatever the role is It's hard, uh, it's hard to
0: lie when you can't formulate who you are, yeah.
1: right? And it's hard to ask the moderator Hey, what does this role do again? <laughs> Not that I have it but just <laughs> right, want to know just what curious. team they're on and what they do. Um, so there was that, and there's just a lot of other things. That was one thing, and the, the balancing that games weren't balanced when you started to add the special roles that were in Werewolf, uh, Miller's Hollow, and Lucas and Tabula. Just a bunch of things like that. And so, uh, you know, I made my own deck basically to play with when I played Werewolf that it would be better. And you know, I was you know doing HST maps at that point, but I really wasn't publishing anything else. Um, but uh, I mean I see the correlation
0: those. Age of Steam Werewolf yeah totally
1: yeah I know I know it's kind of a weird thing it <laughs> to be tough. separate groups there's a little overlap some people do both I know a lot of people who do both but not some people definitely do not go between those two JC games. right uh, yeah he he has not played um a lot of social deduction games um not not a huge fan um, he would like to play them with all the information you know with all the cards <laughs> one night with the cards face up right. you know so not not as good of a game that way probably playable, but just not as not as good the whole, whole obsession with perfect information. Um, I, I don't know if that's a genetic disorder. He has or, or what that is exactly but um, That he feels very strongly about that
0: oh. uh, But yeah,
1: so so uh, yeah, so I wanted to, to do that. I printed my own set with really crappy art um, And then uh, I printed some more for some more people and then I'm like, well, you know, I'll see what happens if I print a bunch and see if people want to buy them, and they did, and it sucked because I had to print them myself and cut them myself, mm. and I printed 800 copies of the game and and assembled it and myself, and it was a pain. And eventually, I decided, you know what, I should probably do this for real. Um, and then I went to the next level of getting a real artist to do the artwork and uh, actually getting it produced as a real game. Um, so you know, it, it's kind of started from there. Um, and certainly again, it's because I love the game and there was not, you know, it goes back to, I'm making a game for me. You know, there was not a werewolf game out there that I thought was up to what I wanted to play. It didn't have the stuff I wanted. So I, I made my own. And that goes and, back uh, to
0: the reason you design games, who you're designing for, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I don't know how many hundreds, again, thousands. I play a lot of werewolf as moderator as well as playing. Um, but, Man, if I was still had to play with the the other cards, you know, I, I hate to rip on them, but again, that is why Ultimate Werewolf exists is because those games were just not up to the level that I wanted them to be. They did not have the stuff in them. Doesn't mean they're bad; it just means they didn't have the stuff I wanted uh, to play with them. Right? It's just, uh, I mean, and, and it's, and
0: it, it gave you an a baseline to go from, and then go from there. Yeah. Right? Yeah, nothing wrong yeah. with that. Yeah,
1: exactly. Absolutely.
0: All right. So Bezier Games has made fair use, I think is a good way to put it, of Kickstarter in the past, especially for the social deduction games. Um, What is it about those games that you feel make them a good fit for Kickstarter as opposed to some of the bigger uh, strategy games, Suburbia, Castles, uh, Colony, et cetera, et cetera. So why is it one finds its way on the Kickstarter and the other doesn't?
1: I mean, for us, really, Kickstarter is more about hey, we have either extra stuff that we know people would like that we know we can't—it's too expensive to include include in the game that we're going to sell, or that just doesn't make sense for us to just have on our website to sell. Um, it, it's a little different with One Night Now because there's a lot more people out there and probably could sell some more stuff. But in general, you know, like uh, additional art, uh, a player mat, a bunch of those extras that we provide with the One Night Games and the Kickstarters. Um, we did plastic tokens for Alien and some other cool things that are just like, that's cool, but there's no way that we would go and create, you know, hundreds of these, you know, custom individual plastic tokens to replace the cardboard ones for, for all the games. It just makes sense for a Kickstarter because it seems like that's an appropriate thing um, for that. Um, you know, ever since uh, One Night came out, we pretty much did, we've been using Kickstarter to basically be able to add extra stuff to a game. So to trick uh, out
0: that game. Kind of
1: yeah yeah and that's I, one of the things I like about Kickstarter you know it's getting <clears throat> a version that has extra stuff that's cool stuff in it that you don't get otherwise and hopefully not just <clears throat> uh, mechanical extras but you know just bling you know just you know nicer pieces uh, upgraded parts replacement things minis whatever um, you know that's why I tend to back stuff for the most part not because I want it sooner or because I'm not sure if it'll make it in retail. Um, those are much more rare. It's more because I want extra stuff, you know, whether it's in stretch goals or you get it, you know, you buy the, the fancy version of the game. Uh, we're doing that with, uh, with uh, Winter Beast right now. We have a deluxe version. And really the only reason we're doing it, well, there's two reasons, I guess, is the artist, the uh, Victor Prez Corbelli, just amazing, amazing artwork. And he's done artwork for some other games too. That's great. But he just did fantastic artwork for this game. And uh, we actually had him do extra ones, because we weren't sure which were piece we were going to include in the game. And so we ended up with extra stuff. And we're like, well, this sucks because we can only fit realists. There's no reason to put more of those in the game. It would cost too much to print all those extra cards and put all those things in there. Um, and people would be confused getting all those extra pieces when the game really only scales to 10. It doesn't scale higher than that. So a Kickstarter made a lot of sense for us to provide a way for other people to get that stuff. So we set those up as stretch goals in the Kickstarter. Now people can get those you know, when they back the game. Uh, and then the other thing was uh, there's wear chow things, which are... They're um, punchboard tokens right now, and you know, it. One of the things I wanted to, I really wanted to do. You aluminum, did say wear chow, right? Yeah, wear chow. That's what all the were beasts eat. It seemed obvious. obvious. I don't know why I have to explain that. I think anyone listening here knows knows what I'm talking about. Um, and uh, so, the whole idea with the wear chow is their cans. Their cans are wear chow, like you know, some as you of would
0: buy. Yes, food.
1: Yes, yeah, which. Just, so we we even contacted Purina about seeing if we could get them just to, you know, have a run and get a bunch of empty cans made so people could use those cans. Uh, we tried a bunch of different can companies. Actually, we could not find metal cans. That's but we did fantastic. find, so we're just going to do basically wood cylinders with, with stickers on them that really look like cans. And they're stackable and they're kind of cool um, and they're more fun than just the cardboard tokens. Um, but we couldn't do that in the game and still you know, make it a twenty or twenty-five dollar sure. game. So that's another thing that Kickstarter is really good for. So there's a deluxe option where people get that. And we have to put it in a bigger box even because those things don't even fit in the regular box.
0: So so that kind of I guess exemplifies your Kickstarter mentality of to trick out a game or to give you extra stuff that we wouldn't normally be able to if we or if we offered it through Bezier in normal channels.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um you know we didn't do a Kickstarter for rare words because at the time uh, we didn't feel that, that we could add anything that added value that people would really want for Werewords, even though it would, again, fall in the same line as Werebeasts and One Night Games uh, for that. But there was really no reason to do a Kickstarter for it because we didn't, you know, we could have done some sort of player map. But you don't really need one because you're not moving stuff around at night. Um, you know, we could have done one where you get a free Android or iOS tablet um, and then you charge $600 for the game, but that seemed weird too. So, you know, there wasn't a lot we could actually do kickstarter wise that made sense for that so we didn't do it so it, w- it wasn't you know it, it's not like because it's a small game we're going to do that it's more of hey we have some extra stuff here and this is a way to get it out to people who you know people who back on kickstarter tend to they're super excited about the game and they want that cool stuff and that's a way for us to be able to get it to them you know and it makes sense the economies of scale kind of work out that that's way correctly.
0: A, that's a cool way to use kickstarter mm-hmm. i mean i'm not i'm not saying i'm not the morality police saying hey there's only a certain way you're supposed to use Kickstarter. But I appreciate that you guys have a defined, hey, this is what we're going for when we use Kickstarter. I appreciate that. I think that's uh, different than a lot of companies. So kudos to you yeah. on that. I,
1: well, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I think anyone can use Kickstarter. Kickstarter has a lot of things. I think for people to go with that assumption that it's it's only for testing out an idea to see if it's going to fly – that's one way but there's lots of other ways you can use it it's, it's marketing it's getting you know the word out for pure people it's you know being able to to find out really how many you should print i mean all those things are useful and most kickstarter backers seem to be okay with that there's certainly a couple that get upset when a big publisher like queen or mayfair or someone they they do a kickstarter campaign but you know it for for them to do it they're, they're there's there's a reason you know they're not I, I, I don't think, and I could be wrong, but I do not think most publishers are doing it because they think that's a quick way to score some extra cash of uh, direct sales. Kickstarter is a pain in the butt to to do. Any Kickstarter campaign that's been successful, anyone, no one will tell you, oh yeah, it was nothing. Yeah, we just put some stuff up there, did a video, you know, an hour, <laughs> and we're done, and you know, we got a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Well, not and... only
0: that, but the it, just keeping up with the comments is. I God yeah. bless them, folks that do yeah. that. That is amazing.
1: Yeah, so I just, I mean, it's not, it's not that thing where people go, oh wow, you made a lot of money at Kickstarter. Well, not really. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. Um, you know, it's you certainly don't want to lose money, um, or you know, want to come out better than break even. But uh, it's not, it's not this money making machine that some people I think have this this idea that a big company goes in there and they're just you know gouging their customers uh, for some reason or I don't know. But um, so, and if they, that is the intention, I think they learn pretty quickly. Like, oh, this is not worth the effort. Uh, to do that yeah um, it's uh, there's much a lot better of work goes into customers. those things for sure yeah
0: so what's your favorite bezier slash ted spot game and what is your favorite non ted spot game
1: i think my favorite game and it, it, again it's always hard because the newest stuff that you're publishing of course, is so much more exciting um, we played a couple of rounds of Werewords last night and actually I didn't play, I watched because we were testing out some new stuff and I still was having a blast just watching it. But uh, I would probably say suburbia. I think suburbia even more so than castles uh, is, you know, it's closer to what I feel I really like in a game. Just that economic pressure and uh, you know, that whole idea that there's that, that tipping point where you want to, you want to just shift gears and, and focus and you know, you've got your engine build up and, that's that's that that for me is probably probably the top of the list. Um, All right. Yeah. Fav- Again, favorite the other non still like the a game. Lot, but, yeah. Um, probably the favorite um, is it's. I would probably have to say Teach you, because I think Teach you is a game that I will probably play until I'm dead. I don't know if there's any other game that I didn't make that I will probably end up playing when I'm super super old. Um, but Teach you is probably one of those that I probably will do that I think there is. It's, it's uh, you know, it, it's it's a nice complex climbing game that has a ton of strategy built into it and, uh, you know, it's got a bunch of downsides and you need, you need four people, you really need the three other people you're playing with to kind of have an idea of what's going on or it's not that much fun. Um, but overall, that's probably the most, one, the one for long-term enjoyment. As far as traditional board games, um, you know, the, the core, again, late 90s, early 2000s, Euros, um, are probably going to top the list. So things like El Grande. I we just um, played
0: El Grande this last weekend. In fact, yeah.
1: yep. I mean El Grande is it's almost magical um, in some ways, and in, in a way that all works together. And um, you know, there's that that kind of that up and down thing where you're trying to position yourself for the, the last uh, the you know rounds three, six, and nine. And there's just there's just something about that game that's that's just, uh, just amazing to call. Um,
0: These are classics for a reason, yeah. right?
1: Uh, Kalos is 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 at the top. I don't think Kalos gets as much love anymore as it as it as it should. But Kalos is an amazing game. The Provost in Kalos is one of the best uh, NPCs in any game. Um,
0: <laughs> you know, I, I guess I never really I thought of it as an NPC, but that's exactly kind of what yeah, it is, right?
1: Doing so, you, you guide him a little bit, but he's he's on a mission. Yeah, and, the, the, uh, you, know, you. you. can take advantage of him, or you get screwed by him, and uh, yeah. So, no, that's so, yeah, those, those, as far as Euro type games, you know, the older ones, so, there's lots of new games that, that come out that I like and that I play, but um, those are the ones I think that I would always go back to and I would always want to make sure I have at least one copy around. I think I have multiple copies of each of those games I just talked about.
0: All right, cool. All right, so that's pretty much all I have except for my last, uh, my last six questions. So, some questions that folks have, uh, have asked throughout the discussion here. So going back to age of steam, Randall asks uh, with Mississippi steamboats map for age of steam, did you think of the river current when going up and down the river, i.e. going up the river minus one, going down the river, adding two, et cetera.
1: I do not remember at this point if I did consider that or not. Um, I, I don't remember it. So I probably didn't. Um, you know, yeah, I do not think that that I ever took into consideration the current. There's a lot going on um, in that map. Uh, otherwise, and, <laughs> uh, I, I that that map is one of those awesome ones where that those first couple turns uh, when you're trying to choose that that, that spot that you want to get started in because you know there really there's three spots. There's down by New Orleans. There's across the river from New Orleans, and then there's up top uh, by Minneapolis and everything. And it's it's where do you where do you start and where can you see yourself growing and there's there's pluses and minuses to all those and I think that's that's always really interesting and that's that's such a um, long-term strategy from that first turn because you're going to see where those cubes are you're going to look at the the as the cube distribution as they're coming out and uh, you can you know if you really process it you can you know, do great things hopefully um, <laughs> but a lot of times you'll, you'll struggle early on to get there which is of course the scene thing but yeah.
0: All right. uh, So Rob asks, and I'm not really going to ask this. I'm just going to say that I'm going to try and start up a grassroots campaign to either get uh, uh, paper maps or hardbound maps reprinted of some of your older, older Age of Steam maps, and see if there's a demand for it. And if so, maybe it's something that you consider down the road. Uh, Let's see. uh, Zan asks, uh, "What IP would you love to design a game around? Is there an IP?"
1: Yeah, The Wire.
0: Oh, I love you.
1: Yeah. So uh, The the Wire seems like it would be the best in depth social deduction game possible. Um, You you want me to play uh, a social
0: deduction uh, game, Ted? Make that happen.
1: Yeah. So that to me, I mean, the layers of stuff that goes on in The Wire, that was, it's it's a fantastic show. And I think that could, you know, I I don't know what it would take to do it right. And, uh, you know, I've never even inquired about that, but that, that certainly is something that's always in the back of my head of like, that'd no, be really cool. If David that Simon's is so,
0: listening, please. So, cool. so it's funny you bring that up. So yeah. I was laid up for a week and I'm still recovering from Concrud, the worst I've ever had from Gen Con. Yeah. And so what do you do when you're sick? You go back and rewatch the wire. So I'm I'm yeah, I'm yeah. into season three for the fourth time uh, of the wire and uh Omar be coming, yo. Uh oh.
1: I'm yeah. so happy it's, you brought that yeah, up. Yeah, it's so phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, it's such a phenomenal show and I think there's 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 a lot of space there. Um it, it's sad that uh it didn't get it didn't get as much acclaim when it was on as it has it has now. I think I mean, there's a lot of people's top 10 lists of their TV series now. Um and uh you know, I wonder what would have happened if they would have gone beyond their five seasons or if there would have been a little different. Right. Otherwise, um, such a good show yeah. my
0: all-time favorite yeah. number one if you ne- ever watch a series on tv this is it's going to ruin everything else it's that good i feel like
1: yeah yep, yeah, it's phenomenal yep. yeah yeah i mean other people are like oh breaking bad's great and breaking bad's a fantastic show And there's other shows the shield that are kind of in that same right. uh, genre but the wire outdoes all of them um you know and it's it's tough. I know a lot of people. They watch an episode or two. They're like, I just don't get it. There's too much stuff going on. Too many people. And yeah, it sucks. You got to stick with it for you know four or five episodes. But by the time you get to that episode, where all they say is the f word for you know like three minutes, uh, that's, that's like episode three or four. Yep. When they're looking at that, like how someone got shot. Yep. Like that then you realize, okay, this this is amazing. That is fantastic. It's just an amazing show.
0: Alright, so Kabuki Kid asks, any thoughts on adding a sticker pack expansion for Fauna or Terra to add the no exact or no exact or adjacent spots on the board uh, like in America? Those spots improve oh. the system?
1: That's a that's an awesome idea. Actually, it would be a cool, it could just be a print and play thing that you could just put off to the side Yeah. Um, for those. Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't do that with that. I'd have to talk to Freedom about that because uh, I know that... That he he wasn't upset with the stuff i added to america but i don't know how, how i don't know if that's like he thinks that, that would be a good addition to those games the way that they're set up because you know they're they're a different set of questions and a different you know it's got a different tone what gotcha. america has so uh yeah that certainly would be worth uh you know i'll see him at Essen and you know, neither of us are ever busy at Essen so I'm sure no, just chat no no, not, but, no uh, none of
0: us that go to Essen are ever busy right Nope, nope especially nope, you no, publishers
1: is, i mean it's so low key so, i think that's the thing so last, relax, year, low key and relaxing those are the words <laughs> i used to, use to describe that essen two things
0: i never heard in regards yeah. <laughs> to essen so last year was my first trip to essen and tried to or i had interviews set up for both uh both uh uli Blanemann and spielworks and bonacor and Dude, I, I, I was again. This being my first true experience of Essen, I was shocked at how much literal running around that publishers do. That it is. I mean, wow. I was staggered by how busy everybody was there. Just, yeah.
1: it's yeah. And I think nobody can understand until you've been there and you see what it's like. Um, I mean, GenCon's awesome, and uh, you know, GenCon is getting more and more awesome every year but still Essen has his, is his own thing. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's overwhelming the first couple times you go there and then it's still overwhelming now after I've been there, I don't know, 12, 15 years or however long I've been going.
0: That's yeah. I'm uh this will be Amanda's first yeah. trip and uh, I've tried to warn her, but there's just, so you experience it. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 you're, you're there Saturday and you're going, Oh my God, it's already Saturday. And oh my gosh, there's still two more days left. Yes. And it's this, like they're, they're conflating sort of things where, wow, I can't believe this has gone by so quick and oh my God, there's still two more days. How
0: How is there two more yeah. days? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Kabuki Kid, what's your favorite Ameritrashy game?
1: I don't play hardly any Ameritrashy type games. So it's really, um, it really is like trail Betrayal. Social... Okay. Yeah, Betrayal's but, 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 but one. I mean, but I, you know, I would tend probably to opt out of most of them for the most part. I don't think, you know, yeah, it's just it's just not my thing okay. for the most which part. Okay, which
0: there's nothing wrong with. I I, I would yeah. be of the same mind. So, do you play a lot of your games after they're published Werewolf notwithstanding?
1: Uh, yeah. Um I mean, part of it is uh, you know, it's it's demoing to other people, you know. Uh, no, I'm, I'm publish, talking do you play but,
0: do you play like if you uh, ever no. have free time?
1: No. No, no, no. It's it's very sad. Um, well, part of it is you know I played, you know I've even played the final version because I'm demoing it and showing it to people. You know I played that the the final version dozens of times usually um, after it's done, but I played it hundreds of times before that. So yeah, that's that's pretty rare. Um, and the other thing is there's always stuff that we're playtesting. You know, that would take precedence. And there's, of course, all the other games that we've purchased that also take precedence. You know, so we have a bunch of new games. we got, I don't know, 50 of course, games of Gen right. Con we're all excited about. And I've only played maybe 15 of them at this point. And here we are more than two weeks after Gen Con. And, you know, I've only done 25% of them. And the goal is get rid of all those, you know, play all those games from Gen Con before Essen. Um, and that's going to be tight. It's, it's so, yeah.
0: Oh, oh, I, I mean, anybody who's in this industry now can appreciate how... How hard that can be at times. Yeah. How time is yeah. at a premium? Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So not really a question, but a re- pretty good comment. So Rob, uh, Super Chat, uh, he said, uh, I want to play One Night Ultimate Werewolf with JCL. Open information on hexes and with character rusting.
1: <laughs> that would be awesome. I would be brutal, but it would be awesome. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It would be awesome to watch other people do it maybe. I think that's probably the I thing. think I would like uh, to observe to that game. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. All right. So, series of six fun yet thoughtful questions that I try and ask everybody that sits down. Conversations with heavy cardboard. So, are you willing, Ted? Sure. All right. Here Maybe. we go. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. for For top top of the uh, top of your head, uh, first thing comes to mind. Here we go. Number one. How old would you be if you didn't actually know how old you are? Twenty. Okay. If you could master one skill that you do not have right now, what would it be? Anything. Skiing. Not snowboarding, but specifically skiing.
1: Yeah, just my brain doesn't work. I've tried, and it just it I can't, don't understand how you're supposed to lean away from where you're turning. That doesn't make any sense. And it somehow I just I don't even I don't even want to learn how to ski. I just want to be able to do it. I, I'm like I'm not like oh it'd be so cool to go on a mountain. It's just that I'm frustrated that I can't. That something in my brain does not let me do that.
0: If you could have dinner and conversation with any person in history, who would it be, assuming you you would also have clear communication with them?
1: People laugh if I say Kesha, so I won't say that. (laughs) Uh, That's that's kidding, sort of, although that would be very interesting. In general, I actually put a um a note in Suburbia Inc. to see if anyone noticed. And, and someone did put a comment about it. But actually, you know, when you're thanking different people, there's a line in there that says, thanks to Kesha for something. And it was kind of funny because, um, you know, I have, well, and my daughter's still a teenager, I guess. But, you know, I have kids and they listen to all sorts of music. And I don't really mind. I like pop music and stuff too. um, But I I very much appreciate um all the musical artists that have, you know, They basically have achieved success based on their own ingenuity and determination and whatever. And Kesha would fall into that category. There's not, I don't think I would have anything in common with Kesha, but I think I can appreciate Kesha and lots of other people like that um, and what they do and and how they do it. But that's, uh, again, that's, I don't think that would be the person I would choose. But still, that's my favorite answer answer
0: of all time. Of everybody I've asked, that is far and away my favorite answer.
1: All right. Yeah. Yeah, my my wife thinks it's very silly that um I got the new Kesha CD and there's once there's a lot of music on there where she's swearing and cursing and I'm like this is awesome and she's like uh she's saying a lot of bad words and I'm like yeah I know but it's still awesome <laughs> anyway, so oh well
0: awesome I uh, thank you for that uh what are three things that you would like more of right now could be physical could be characteristics ideas anything time whatever
1: uh. I- this point, I would like to be able to eat anything I want to without gaining weight. I, as somebody who just the, lost forty
0: five pounds, I can I can appreciate that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's that's annoying. I used to have awesome metabolism, and now that has gone Getting out the window. Oh, it's terrible.
0: Three things. That's one. Oh, three things. Oh, three yeah. things.
1: Okay. Well, that's three different types of food problem. Um Anything else? I don't know. No, I'm pretty. Uh, yeah, it's not like I go like, oh, I wish I had something. Yeah, uh, free time, I guess, more extra free time to to play more games would be, be one thing. Um, there never seems like there's enough time to play games. Um, definitely short on that. Uh. Yeah. No. Okay. got um, yeah, More. Uh, we have two cats having kittens and having them perpetually be kittens. That would be, that awesome. would
0: be fantastic. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cats are cats are quite nice, but kittens are awesome, and it'd be nice to have more kittens okay so there we go all right
0: yeah uh what do you appreciate the most in your friends
1: uh, i think dependability would be number one thing
0: okay and i feel like i need to change this answer because i always get the same answer but what's your absolute dream job
1: yeah um that's you're gonna get the same answer i think for me because i'm doing it right now this <laughs> is it um <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing else that I, I wish I was doing instead of this. So I'm very, very happy with, uh, with this time. And I feel very fortunate that I'm able to do this full time. So, yeah. Um, yeah. This is it. All yeah, right. Yeah, running, running a, a board game company and designing games. I mean, that is, for me, that's, I, you know, you would have told like, 1995 Ted that he'd be doing this full time. And 1995 Ted would have said, shut up and maybe punched you for being a jerk. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's awesome.
0: Fantastic. All right. So uh yeah, that's all I got. So Ted, on behalf of myself and Amanda, we really appreciate you uh taking the time to sit down with us. This is pretty cool.
1: That was a lot of fun. Thanks. Good.
0: I appreciate it. And uh I like I said earlier, I I think of myself as the world's biggest 5-year-old and for me, I like being able to dig into the minds of those that are in this industry and that are willing to take the time because I always like knowing the behind the scenes stuff. So I imagine if I do, then other people out there do as well. So definitely appreciate it. It was a lot of fun on my part because I get to ask questions that I want to know the answers to. So. So thanks for taking a couple hours with us. Really appreciate it. You're more than welcome. It was fun. All right, cool. So everybody, thanks for watching. Uh, Thank you also to our patrons that help make all this positive or possible. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash heavy cardboard. And Ted, it's listed down below, but for those listening uh, to the podcast later, you want to tell folks how to be able to get a hold of you and your games?
1: Yeah, sure. Just go to BezierGames.com. Um, most of the games that I've designed are there, although there's a few from other publishers at this point. Um, and, of course, easiest way to do that, go on BGG and just look, look it up as a designer or Bezier Games as a publisher.
0: All right. Awesome. So, again, Ted, thank you for taking the time. Everybody that joined us live, really appreciate it. Appreciate the uh, the questions and the uh, the humor throughout the, uh, the discussion. And we'll be back later on this week with more live streams. So, thanks, everybody. We'll catch you all later.
1: Ah.